Welcome to Embrace the Musica, where we're going to dig into the raw, vulnerable, tough, and beautiful pieces of this journey called life. I'm Dominique Dines, who at the age of 21 moved abroad to Mexico to start teaching after growing up in a small town in Minnesota. My husband is from Peru, and we met salsa dancing 10 years ago in Guadalajara, Mexico. Here we are today raising two lovely tricultural kids. We speak more Spanish than English in our home and do a lot of salsa dancing in the kitchen. Embrace la Musica is going to be a place where we talk about what it's like being married to someone from a completely different culture, living in a place that neither of us grew up in, being a working mom, constantly fighting or accepting cultural norms, and all the things that keep us afloat, which includes a lot of heart and humility. So let's embrace the Musica today. Welcome back, everyone, to Embrace the Musica this week. Once again, I've invited a great friend to share with us some of her story growing up in Canada, spending a few years in Peru, and now living here in Guadalajara with her young family. Saray and I now work together at the same international school, and we met a little over a year ago at our local church. Our kids are the same age, and it turns out that we have a lot of little things in common and many shared passions when it comes to our careers, hobbies, and friends. So Ray, it's so much fun to have you on the podcast today and get to hear a bit more of your story and also just how you're following your dreams by pursuing your passions, living abroad, and all the things. So to start off today, can you just tell us a little bit? about what first brought you abroad. Yeah, definitely. And thanks so much, Dominique, for having me. It's honestly, I've, I've been watching your and seeing your podcasts out there, and I'm just like really amazed by how much you're doing. Um, yeah, so what brought my husband and I abroad was he had started a nonprofit in Peru, and I was, of course, head over heels with him and decided that I needed to come definitely check out these Nonprofit, this nonprofit that he was running in Peru, just more like a vacation style. And so I came down to Peru, I think that was in 2012, and just fell in love, absolutely fell in love with Huancayo, the city where we were living, fell in love with the mission and the vision behind the projects and, and what that was all about. And needless to say, after our big backpacking trip, we returned back to Canada. And then I think we were there for six or seven months and then made the leap to move down to Peru for a few years. Well, I think that it was actually only <laughs> supposed to be six months, but what turned into three years of marriage and a baby later, <laughs> well, that was our first trip out. So yeah, that's that was the first part of us going abroad. I, I love that. And I love how that totally speaks to your sense of adventure and wanting to see more of the world. And obviously, as you said, you were head over heels with Matt. Um, now you mentioned that you guys were working in Peru or running. It was a nonprofit. Is that right? Exactly. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were actually doing in Peru? And then also, so what happened? How did you end up only going for six months and staying for three years? Great. Good, good question. And, you know, I really love talking about Peru and it's it speaks to so much of my inner sort of like my inner core and my beliefs about helping you know, marginalized people or people who haven't necessarily been afforded the same opportunities are <clears throat> luxuries maybe that some of us 
have been. And one of the things that the projects really focused on was family wellness. And so initially the project started with an education focus. So we would be working inside rural schools, we would fundraise for acute labs, and then we would go in and do training. We would do capacity building with the teachers, with the directors, and we would also run English classes and do after school sort of design classes to teach the kids about Photoshop and different Adobe products. We were Adobe partners as well. And so in these schools that we were running, <clears throat> we'd run these after school programs and be, you know, really being trying, we were really trying to motivate the kids. We we're really trying to get them involved. And they were like, sorry, miss, like we can't come. I have to go and participate in the harvest or like, I have to take my sheep out. And we just realized that their family obligations and like the family well-being would was sort of taking a priority over their education and of course understandably like not that that was an issue necessarily just that we realized that, that we had just come in contact with like another issue and that was that we needed to sort of elevate the standard of living or at least help and have projects that would work to address some of the other issues of poverty that we were seeing. So that started one of the really big and probably one of the most successful projects that we did, which was our seed loan program and also our microfinance businesses. So those two sort of go together, like the seed loan program was a microfinance, it like it's it's rooted in microfinance finance ideology, but they were different programs. So the microfinance programs that we did primarily focused with single mothers or families maybe older older family members who weren't able to you know work on the farm because of their health and they could raise chickens though they could you know buy smaller amounts of things and then sell them in their community for more so we would give out small loans and they would they could pay them back incrementally they could pay them back all at once like we would design a loan program for them that would suit their needs then on the other side we had this seed loan program because many of the farmers that we were working with were subsistence farmers meaning just that they basically lived off of what they grew so they would sell only you know marginal amounts of their crops to get enough money for sugar and flour and the rest of the sort of very 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 basic cooking items that they would need and the rest of it they basically they lived in eight and then they would store it for the winter colder season and they would use those same in this case potatoes and use those potatoes as seed for the next year and so you can imagine that as a farmer if they've been using that same crop potato for the last like seven years or seven generations of planting obviously the quality of the potatoes and the nutrition like the nutrition that's coming out of there is obviously like dwindled over time so we created like a seed loan program to help bring in new seeds to help diversify even diversify a little bit away from potatoes and bring in things like peas and lima beans and things that could have like just a little bit maybe like add to their nutritional um, variety, I guess. I don't know how to how to say that, but sort of just like diversify some of the things that they were eating. And that program was really successful with the with the farmers. And um yeah, it had its it definitely had its um problems, I guess. Um and we learned a lot from it, but it was definitely the most like well received by the communities and, and by the family members. And we really saw it impact their lives. Like they were taking fields that they hadn't used in, you know, probably four or five years. And they were using those to plant this new seeds and they were getting like just truckloads of 
potatoes and yeah so it, it was it was it was really rewarding um it was a lot of work but it was it was definitely really rewarding that's amazing so, yeah. though and now did you and Matt like do you have background with this with farming or is this stuff like when you got there you just saw a need and you figured it out as you went or do you have some sort of background that I don't know <laughs> Yeah, I definitely don't have that background. Um, I My background was in hairdressing and I was a waitress or a server before that. So my background with potatoes was more like, do you need fries with your ketchup? <laughs> or do you need ketchup with your fries? Not like, okay. do you need to plant and harvest and understand like this whole life cycle of potatoes? Definitely not. Um, however, Matt, my husband is his family. I mean, his dad is a pastor from Wisconsin, but the, his extent family is actually all farmers so oh, okay. his dad definitely had an interest in that and we actually brought down a massive walking tractor and imported it into Peru so that they would be able to you know try to advance some of the technology that they were using because all of the like, tilling and and that kind of stuff was all done by hand by bulls oh, wow. and so these people would go and just like till their fields with like their one pickaxe or there would be say 10 of them and they'd be turning over this whole field back breaking labor you know and so we brought in this huge walking tractor and imported it from the states um and just we're just trying to see like different types of technology that might work um and if you're familiar a little bit with the andes terrain like it's quite hard <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's well it is it's it's just like it's really high. The altitude is like where we were living was 30, close to 3,300 meters. But the farmers that we worked with, they were at 3,800 meters. Oh, wow. And so there aren't even actually very many crops that can grow there. And the, the soil is quite hard and the rains are quite immense. And so, yeah, it was just, it was quite a project. And so we were trying, you know, to just work off of the simple machinery and things that could also be replicated there, you know? Uh -huh. So... Yeah, it was definitely a learning curve. And, and sometimes actually we were just, my husband and I were just joking about this last week being like, people like don't even realize that we know so much about uh, quinoa and potatoes. It's very unassuming that yeah. when you look at us that you would think that we've actually planted like kilos and kilos and kilos of peas and potatoes and quinoa and stuff. So yeah. That's it why was, I uh, asked. Cause I was like, wait a minute. I don't think I fully understand this picture. That's a, yeah, I don't. I don't think I do. Either. <laughs> That's amazing. Even though. still. <laughs> well, and yeah, thanks. And this is why I love hearing people's stories because I'm constantly learning new things. Um, you also mentioned one of the projects you were working on was in education in Peru. Is that what kind of led you to also pursue education? Because I know. As I mentioned in the intro, you're here in Mexico. We work at the same school. Um, you are an educator. I know you also have other passions you're going to tell us about in a minute. But how did the educa education piece fit into your story? Sure. That's... that's um... It feels kind of like the potatoes, you know, it's like just a wild card. <laughs> but no, you know, we started getting involved in education there. And I realized like, wow, like I love the idea of tech in education. Like I think it's a really important movement and not just a movement it's a lifestyle now right and i saw that um and so in bringing obviously technology to students who would never obviously have access to this otherwise was just like mind-blowing and so when we went back to canada we ended up having our two children really close together kind of like the 
Irish twins, like they almost Irish twins because they're only 15 months apart. But when we were second child, we decided, you know what, we're actually getting a little bit of compassion fatigue, you know, just dealing with such intense poverty, such like intense levels of poverty all the time. We were just feeling like a little bit burnt out. And we just realized, you know what, let's go back to Canada. Let's regroup. Let's really figure out like if we're being called to be in Peru or if this is what's happening. And, you know, when I went back, I was like, man, I've been working in education for like the last three years, but I don't actually have any type of like formal certification to like back up. Like I didn't have my ed degree. I didn't have anything that would sort of help me get a job in education, except for like this job that I had just had. So we decided that I was going to go back and get my undergrad in education. So a little bit like late to the table though, which especially compared to people like you, Dom, who've, you know, been working on education for just years and years and, you know, have had so many different diverse experiences. Like I feel like I'm a little bit of a late joiner to the education sort of realm, but yes, so when we moved back to Canada, <clears throat> right when Cohen, when I was pregnant with Cohen, um, I got, I went back to school to get my ed degree, right out of my ed degree. I applied for my master's once I didn't get in. And then I applied for my master's again under, under a different supervisor. And I got in and did my master's all like working with indigenous education, primarily focused on um, in the indigenous people of Canada. I'm indigenous and I am from Canada. And that is a, a big part of my story and a big part of, of where I come from. And from there, Matt and I decided that we were going to come out to Guadalajara, which is its own huge story in and of itself. But yeah, that was sort of just like the segue for us was us going back to Canada, me deciding like, you know what, I need something to substantiate my experience. And from there it started. And I will happily proclaim right now I have been out of school since April <laughs> and I am done I mean Yay. until maybe next year if I apply for my doctorate because <laughs> once a student always a student right we we'll never stop learning I think yeah absolutely and I am so glad that you decided to go into education and that our paths cross thanks to that and I also mentioned in the intro that we met um, through our church here in Guadalajara so we're so glad that you and Matt and your family moved here. You just mentioned though, and I haven't asked you yet, can you tell us a little bit about your family? Because you mentioned you grew up in Canada, you're indigenous. Can you tell us a little bit about how that has shaped your story today? Definitely. And um, I, it's one of the one of the topics that I am the most passionate, interested, focused, um, in right now is my roots and the place that I come from. I have had a lot of maybe shame around it, I think, because in, in Canada, being Indigenous, it's kind of like being Black in the U.S. You know, there's just so much overt racism. There's so many inequalities and injustices. My mom was a survivor of the 60s scoop, which is a term from Canada where you were scooped away from your parents. So my mom got taken away from her mom when she was two years old. She got brought into the foster care system. She was in 14 foster homes by the time she was seven. She was in 21 foster homes. Yeah, by the time she was graduated, like not graduated, but sort of kicked out of the program when she was 18. And then she was just booted to the streets. Her mom was illiterate in English and didn't, she was, I think the story as my mom knows it anyways, is that she was, being charged with a petty theft and 
um, the government came because she had to do 30 days in jail for her petty theft. I think she was, she stole something or I'm not entirely sure. And what my, my mom's mom, my grandma didn't know is that she was actually signing papers saying that the government can have her children forever. Oh my not gosh. like this is just, yeah, not just like this is temporary while you're being incarcerated or this is just, you know, the, the we're going to help them or like not help you out temporarily. No, that was definitely not what it was. And nobody explained it to her and she lost all three of her daughters for the rest oh of her, yeah, for the rest of their life. So, um, and my mom did find her and she, she got separated from all of her sisters. She was able later on in life to find them, but she definitely doesn't really have any relationship with any of them just because like they didn't ever really grew up together. You know, they didn't grow up together. They weren't, they had nothing. I think even one of her sisters, like I was alive and we like when she found, I mean, not alive, but I mean, I am still alive, but I mean, like I was around when she, I remember when she found her one sister. So I must've been 10 maybe. So it's quite recent. I mean, I don't want to say how old I am, but (laughs) (laughs) it was in like the last 25 years that she has found, she found her other sister. And so, and I mean, we drove down to California, we met her, but it's kind of like, you know, two strangers meeting being like, you're related. (laughs) They were so young when they got separated, like they don't have any memories of each other. They don't have anything, you know? So that part of of my identity has always been a little bit hard like I don't have any family I don't have any aunts I don't have uncles I don't have grandparents I don't have any of these things that sort of like are what most AK like sort of normal (laughs) in quotation marks families have and then one of the really big movements for indigenous people is to always talk about like the land that they're from Mm -hmm. and they always say you know I'm from this nation or I belong to this reserve or I'm of I'm a Cree descendant and like I don't really know very much of that stuff like my mom wasn't from a particular land because she didn't really know her family she wasn't from a particular nation because she didn't have any of that information and so like it it was it was been a big struggle for me to understand how do I identify as an indigenous person especially since I don't look indigenous like you would never look at me and be like oh my goodness she's indigenous you know (laughs) you would if you saw my mom and you would if you saw my sister even if you saw my brother but like with me it's like I don't know, like you just don't really see it that much. So that's been hard. But I think there's a lot of people that are like in my like that are in my story too, because after like the government has effectively tried to like eradicate indigenous people in Canada, how many more people are displaced from their land? How many more people don't have access to their story? You know, how many more people don't understand the traditions or the things of their culture? Like I, I am sure I am not the only one. And so this this idea actually prompted me in my master's, and this is what I wrote my thesis on, was like a place, it was a place for the displaced. Because where do we go from here for these for these kids or these adults that don't actually have like a, a place to the, in their culture, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's been a, a really big movement and, and in my own heart and also like with my family. And one of the things that I grew up with was my mom always telling me like, hey, Saray, just follow what your heart is telling you to do. Like you're always going to know. And I think for her, like she didn't ever really have this, you know, sound counsel or her parents to guide her or tell her what to do and not to do. And so she really relied on that, like Mm -hmm. intuition, like that gut feeling, that gut sense. And she always, 
like told me that growing up, like, Saray, hey, you really need to listen to that because you'll know it's like the way that God can speak to you. You know, like you can get that feeling that it's almost like a hunch, like, okay, this is the good, this is good, or no, this mm-hmm. isn't good. And so I remember when I was making the transition to go into hairdressing, I had a lot of people being like, Saray, why would you do that? You're a smart girl. Why would you go into hairdressing? Like, what? <laughs> I, like, I, okay, there are very many brilliant hairdressers. I don't think like being smart or not smart is a prerequisite to any job, to be honest, CEO or hairdresser. Like, I don't think that that is a prerequisite on, on either side. And I just felt it in my heart. Like, no, this is what I need to do. This is where I belong. I know this. I've known this since I was like nine or 10 years old. So it is absolutely 100% passion. And I think I can really just give thanks to my mom for giving that to me because I, I, I don't think I would, you know, I don't think I'd, I would have chose it or have chosen that path if my mom didn't instill those types of values in me. Does that make sense? Like, I, I don't totally, know if I would have, yeah. yeah, if I would have chosen that if I felt like, because often we sort of follow like maybe the status quo, like, no, it's not, I need to go in education and I can't be a loaf and I need to, you know, we, uh-huh. we sort of follow these societal norms. And my mom was just like, forget it, Saray, follow your dreams, like follow your heart. And that's how I got into doing hair. I and so, that. yeah, yeah, it's been, it's kind of been a wild ride because I feel like I've had like a couple career changes. And now I'm finally in like the perfect place where I'm like working with like education and technology and I'm also doing hair and I just feel like I don't know I just feel like so happy these days I just feel like finally we've I've you know like stopped I feel like I've just been like chasing something for like the last like five or six years like trying to go to school finish my master's raise my kids do all this stuff and now it's finally like okay you're here that's it's awesome. a good thing That's <laughs> you know? awesome. yeah no and I love just because you can hear even just through this audio call here, like you can hear your passion coming through in your voice. Um, so remind me, because I know your story, but can you tell listeners? So you actually were styling hair and doing hair in Canada before you went to Peru. Is that how that works? Exactly. Yeah, I went, I took a, like when I finished high school, I took a couple of years off and then I think in my early 20s, like I must have been out of school for maybe two or three years, I decided to go back and go back and pursue my my passion, my dream since I was a little girl of being a hairdresser. Okay. So I have done that since I want to say I finished my apprenticeship around the time I was 23 because you have to go to school and do like an in-school part for a year. And then you have to go and do about a year worth of hours apprenticing under um, st- like experienced stylists. So I finished that when I was about 23. I worked in a really nice downtown town salon for I don't know maybe about three years and then I started freelancing so I started doing some magazine work working for weddings going and doing whole bridal parties doing just like different various types of freelance work as well as doing stuff out of my own um, studio as well so that was awesome I tried (laughs) to do hair when I went to Peru but unfortunately the market at least where I was living wasn't quite ready for it and also just like it's not valued like the creativity for hair isn't valued the same way as it is in maybe like Canada US or Mexico and haircuts were worth maybe a dollar for men's haircuts even a cut in color I don't know maybe like for a cut in color maybe $25 I don't know. I can't exactly remember now the conversion, but it was like quite cheap and quite archaic. Like they were using, do you remember the caps? 
Yeah. <laughs> like with a, with a little crochet hook. <laughs> yes. Except these poor ladies had hair like down to their waist and they were still using the little crochet hook on their hair. And I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, well, do you know there's like another method called like highlighting with foils? Aww. And I was like trying to explain it to them. And, they're, and so I remember I finally convinced this client that she could like that I would be able to do this like same type of process but it would look a little bit different using foils so I did her hair in foils and we get back to the to the mirror so she could see it and she was like but I wanted the really skinny ones referring basically to the crochet hook and cap and she was a little bit disappointed that she didn't have the little little skinny skinny strips of dyed hair so anyways my 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 hair career in Peru was short-lived I want to say six weeks maybe (laughs) but you know what like I'm glad you still tell that part of the story because I think that's important you know realizing when kind of to follow our passions and you've had such a variety of of experiences now in your career and life and it really just adds all these interesting layers to your story um yeah. So, and you know what? And that's 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 totally true. And 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 it is sometimes about the right time at the right place. Mm-hmm. Like, not everything is for every moment. And I think often as we're pursuing our dreams, and we have these, you know, these big ideas and these big visions in our heart, it's not always the right time. And I think that that can be one of the hardest things. You know, I'm a, I'm a passionate person. I, I love going big or, or go home. Like that's totally my philosophy, but I've had to learn along the ways that it's not always when I think it should happen. Right. Like yes. we've been in Mexico for two years already. We're starting our third year and this is, I've only now just started doing hair what, th- two months ago, three months mm-hmm. ago, at the beginning of August, as you as my first client, I guess yeah. maybe you could tell me when exactly that was. I think it was like the end. Yeah, that was, I've been here for two years and it just wasn't the, like the right time. I didn't know enough people at that time. I didn't have the right space. I didn't have the contacts for, for my, like for the distributor. I didn't have any of those things. And now you know, after two years of waiting, I'm getting to like plant this seed and it's just blossoming. And I just really think that that really, you know, sort of speaks to the right timing or God's timing of things in our life. Like, you know, there, there's that verse that said like man makes plans, (laughs) but it's actually like God's plan that actually is the thing that follows through Mm -hmm. or like that actually comes to fruition. And I just really feel like that's a really big part of my story too. So yeah, just for all those dreamers out there, we we just can't forget that there's a time and a place for all of it. And sometimes it's outside of the framework that we think. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I need that reminder just as much as anybody else, because like you, I also feel that's that exact same way, like so, so passionate, so many different dreams. But I think it's an important reminder for everyone listening. Like there's a there's the right time for everything. So Speaking of the right time, as you just started your new business abroad this year, and you had to wait quite a few years, you know, with your undergrad, then your master's, and just getting into the teaching groove, can you just tell us, like, how did everything fall into place? And what what is it looking like for you as a stylist uh, living and working abroad? And like, can you just tell us a little bit more about that process? 
Sure. Yeah. Like I am. Uh, like right now I have styling that I'm doing on evenings and weekends. I might have like the odd break where I take like a lunch client or something like that during the day. And a lot of my business right now is coming through word of mouth. It really is like it's coming through people recommending me, people talking to somebody else who has then talked to somebody else. Like I can't tell you how many times like I can probably count the, each client that I've had has referred at least probably two other clients. And so it's, it's That's just amazing. really amazing. Yeah. And it is, um, a really, I found it to be like a really beautiful experience and it's kind of like this sweet marriage of it's COVID and people haven't seen very many people. And then also we're a lot, I haven't like every single person that I've done their hair so far in the last three months has been an expat. And so the stories that I get to hear are so inspiring. They're so like, I'll give you an example. I actually just did somebody's hair. I, I can't remember. I think she's actually been a guest here, Rafaela, but her husband works for Ferrer Rocher. And so I was asking her, like, do you just eat Ferrer Rochers all day long? Is this what you do? Because in my, in, my, in my mind, when you say this, that's what I imagine, right? That she just is like sitting at home with like buckets of Ferrer Rochers. Anyway, so like I just get to hear the most like wild stories from people. And it's so inspiring just to see like where everybody's come from and, and what's going on. And there's something about when you're getting your hair done that makes people want to open up. Yes. And I, uh, I was it's just, true, right? Like as you're talking, I was like, oh my gosh, Saray probably has like the best stories. Because <laughs> yes. I feel that way when I'm getting my hair done. You just kind of start talking. I love you do. You totally do. And I remember when I was really considering going into hair, one of my really good childhood friends, I said, you know, Melissa, I don't know if I want to do this. Like, I really want to have a connection. I'm like, you know, I'm sitting on the fence. Do I go into nursing? This was my other like career goal, kind of like, do I go into nursing or do I go into hairdressing? She's like, honestly, sorry, I'm a nurse. And she's like, I'm telling you that you just like go from patient to patient, your 12 hour shift, the next one, it's probably not the same patients, 12 hours, next 12 hours, etc. And then you're a hairdresser, like you are there like small psychologist, you know, like you go and like bury your bones, like you say everything to your hairdresser. And like, you just get to hear sometimes like the most wild stories. I'll tell you another one. I get, I did a lady's hair last week and she was telling me about how she had went through this wild, very rigorous adoption process here in Mexico, but in Merida. And anyways, it didn't end up working out. She was trying to adopt six brothers and sisters and how it didn't actually work out. And then she, her friend who lives in Brazil, connected her to an adoption in Brazil. So last year she flew to Brazil, adopted this little boy, and now is back and living, just moved to Guadalajara like six weeks ago, and is living in Guadalajara with her oh like gosh. very newly adopted like Brazilian, um, like, oh, well now her son, but like her son who is Brazilian. Yeah, and so I, I was just, just like, like, oh chills. My. That's such a good yeah, story. It is, it was amazing. And like, it was really, it was really hard. And, and then at the end of the hair, I was like, I know, like we're not supposed to hug, right? But like, can we <laughs> because it was just like it was so moving and like how much she's been through in the last two years and I was just like oh my goodness you know so it just like really I guess I'm sorry that was a sort of very long answer to what you're asking me but you know <laughs> but people's stories yeah, yeah thanks I, I mean I'm, I'm so thankful to my clients and it really just feeds into me like all of their stories and then them also trusting me and I think that that's such a it's such 
uh, vote of confidence. Like when com- somebody comes and sits and it's like, okay, like I'm putting, you know, my appearance in your hands and I don't know. I just, I, I, it makes me so happy and it's such a creative outlet for me that it doesn't even feel like work. Like it's not something that I'm working at. It's just something that I love doing so much. And so this year in, you know, in 2020, I just really hope to keep seeing my clients again, building my client rapport and, and just getting out there and, and hoping to, you know, do a few commercial production, um, things which I, I have some contacts and I've been talking with some people about and yeah I'm really I'm really excited for for what this year holds albeit it may might look a little bit different than maybe other years just based on the the world situation but so far it's been going pretty good and that's awesome like I love hearing such a positive story in light of how challenging 2020 has been for so many entrepreneurs and so many people you know with their own business and the fact that you actually started your own business like at the height of the pandemic so far um, I mean that's pretty incredible and that you really have built a client base and you're continuing to build and I'm, I'm excited for you and I love just hearing how excited and passionate you are as well um how is it going? Like, cause your salon is in your home for anybody who's listening and who lives in Guadalajara. I highly recommend it. It's super cute. Um, it feels like, Aww, a nice thanks. <laughs> no, but it does like, especially after, you know, being in quarantine or like at home for so long, it was such a nice little escape to go. Not only, you know, tell Saray everything as you do in the, in the chat, <laughs> but also, I mean, it's just such a nice space as well. So, um, how is it going though working from home otherwise this year well like in our you know like our nine to five job or only like referencing (laughs) whatever you want to talk about (laughs) it's crazy it is crazy oh my goodness it is bananas and i don't recommend it to anybody if (laughs) if you were thinking that you might want to transfer from office work to homework it is probably not a good idea and you shouldn't do it no is is this the part you're talking about like with e-learning and teaching (laughs) are you Uh, well or which part are you talking about (laughs) yes definitely e-learning and teaching I also you know I really like having my salon at my house because it offers me um, some flexibility of when I can do it and when I can't However, there is always going to be something nice about having a business space versus a home space, you know. And so, you know, I've really tried to make that separate. I've even thought um, we have a downstairs entrance, actually. So I've even thought potentially of using that downstairs entrance and, you know, really blocking off the physical space to my salon so that there there isn't this like mingling, you know, because sometimes I think and that's what I've really found, like, you know, doing my my teaching job during the day working at home. It's just like when when do you turn off? Like I have a really hard time. Like I can see that it's 430. I can see that it's time to shut my computer off. But I look at my emails and I was like, how could you shut your computer off? You still have so much stuff you have to do. There's still this waiting and that waiting. And mm-hmm. I feel like if it was an office, like we probably wouldn't do that. We'd be like, oh, 4.30, okay, do that tomorrow because it's a little bit more compartmentalized. And I'm, I, get, I think I'm just having like a little bit of a hard time compartmentalizing, especially in my nine to five job. Like that part, so with kids, I'm just like, oh my goodness. like. I went to school last week to do some tech testing for, you know, the new, um, the blended learning that we're we're talking about, um, which would be like 
go back to school part-time and I was like oh my goodness I'm more than a mom and not to say that I mean being a mom is amazing and there's definitely nothing if you are a stay-at-home mom and you are at home so many kudos to you that is amazing and I I look up to you honestly so much respect I I felt in that moment like okay I I (laughs) I am doing something else, you know, like, because I just feel like morning, noon and night. I'm just like, oh, all my kids are just like on me. I'm just like, ah, like, I don't know uh, how many calls I've been on at work where where my kids are in the background. Literally, my husband was teaching a class two weeks ago. Cohen walks up, our son walks up to him, turns around and pulls down his pants and moons his entire twelve class. Yes, moons for class. His class was like, uh, Mr. And Matt's like, ah, hold on. And he has to turn off his camera and like, get Cohen out of there because like, this is just like hashtag sort of real life right now. You know, like everything is everywhere. Work is at home. Home is at work. Like, it's just like such a blend. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, and I think so many people would agree with you that I think that's the hardest part about working from home and having your kids at home doing school is like there's no boundaries and I mean on one hand I feel like we can all empathize with each other a lot more and like stuff happens like my kids are constantly coming in my calls I'm actually surprised they haven't interrupted this podcast interview yet (laughs) but (laughs) it's just the reality of 2020 and for better or worse at least like we can all be more empathetic with one another yeah, um, definitely, definitely. And just like, you don't really know what's happening in somebody's situation. And like, I feel like that was true before. I really feel like that's true now. You know, like you don't know the situation of somebody on the other side of that Zoom call. You don't know, you know, how much pressure it puts on teachers to make sure that they their house feels adequate or the student who has the zoom anxiety, you know, who doesn't want to be on the camera all the time. Like you don't really, we don't really understand the implications that some students and teachers and, you know, professionals are dealing with in these situations where it's, it's quite, you know, feels unnatural, I guess. You wouldn't always want somebody to see inside your house. You wouldn't always want somebody to see you like your, your face on a camera for six hours a day. Like it is, It's a little bit unprecedented, you know? Absolutely, yeah. And even there have been times when we're doing kids' homework, you know, and, like, recording things. And I've talked to so many different friends who have said, oh, my goodness, I can't believe my child, like, submitted a homework assignment. And in the background, I was scolding his little sister. And, like, it is a window into all of our homes right now. And there's so much additional stress and all of that. So... Well, speaking of of, of people uploading, you know, crazy things for their homework, my (laughs) daughter last year for Mother's Day was, um, we were obviously (laughs) in the the COVID times during Mother's Day, but the assignment was for her to upload a picture of her mother and they were going to do something on it. However, I don't know how honestly this happened, but somehow... I was only in my shorts, no top, sitting on my bed, but like laid out, knee up, sort of definitely like a butt shot, you know? And somehow, I think I was on the phone or reading or, or doing something like that. But in that moment, my daughter thought that that would be the perfect time to take my photo, the Mother's Day mom photo in, in my <laughs> booty shorts and no top, and sent that in as her mom picture. <laughs> a few days later, I get a, an, an email or like a message from her teacher being like, hey, Saray, I just wanted to ask you, like, 
is that the photo you wanted for Mother's Day? And I was like, Miss Patty, like, what do you mean? I don't even know. And I was like, am I not supposed to know about this? Like, is this a secret? Is Matt, like, doing this? Oh, that's so sweet. Like, my <laughs> husband's doing this. Like, he's taking care of all this. And thinking this in my head, right? Of course, just, like, believing the best. And she's like, okay, well, like, maybe you just want to check it before it becomes, like, more public information she's like oh i just gosh. wasn't sure if maybe you came from like an art maybe sayla was doing something artsy maybe you're kind of an arts family I was like, oh goodness what is she talking about now and i open up the picture and just see this like practically half naked photo of myself in google classroom just like submitted i was like ah! <laughs> mortified and i don't really know why I just immediately deleted it and i was like oh crap we totally should have taken a screenshot of this just for like our own records but like we definitely deleted it and couldn't find the picture anywhere like anywhere in any of our lives at all so I think she really did take it in the moment but anyways I'm I I definitely feel like I know what you're talking about here with yes. uh, with the uh, kids doing and submitting random pieces of information you know you yeah. just everything's everything's laid out there for better or worse I know and I and I mean I love that story I've heard it before and it makes me laugh every time but I think it also just speaks to this is what we're all going through right now and I don't know. At the end of the day, if my kid can like submit their own homework assignment, I'm like so grateful because it's a lot of work for us That's to deal it. with it all. Um, but kind of as we wrap this up, Saray, I'm just, I like to ask this question and I know there might not be an answer, but if you could do anything or see yourself like anywhere in the next five years, what would you do or where do you see yourself? Ooh, it's a hard question. that's a big question. I know. I know. It is, but I like it. I mean, you know what? I would love, and not next year, not the year after, but say like five years from now, I would love to make the transition in education and hair. Mm -hmm. So that would be an avenue that I'd really like to start, like say to be, I, the brand I work with is called Davines, to be a Davines educator here in Mexico. That would be a really big dream of mine. I don't know that that would take over my nine to five, but definitely getting into the realm of um, hair education, I feel like I definitely want to go. And then I also would like to start, um, I don't know how to say this, I'll just like spew it out and, and then you can help me pick up the pieces. But I would really like to get back into like, the sort of my social social like social service passion and see if we can do some training or if I could do some training with young females for hair to help employ them so that they could you know if they weren't maybe otherwise going to go to school maybe like if they had a skill or a trade and if I could teach them how to do that like sort of a hair school um on the weekends yeah and then we could you know train them up and then they would be able to go and get a job for me I feel like that would be also something that I'd like to undertake in the next five years so I'm so yeah, glad those would I, be my two yeah no I'm so glad I no, asked go that ahead, question. I was gonna say I'm so glad I asked that question because I had no idea and honestly Saray that's amazing I love that empowerment piece and being able to help others and I definitely hope that that happens if I can help you in any way in the next few years like I love hearing your passion just speak through as you talk about your story and all these different things that you've been doing in your life is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or tell us about today as we finish this up 
No, I feel like I, I really went on a lot of, we were talking about potatoes, my <laughs> naked photo, my mom's history. Like, I, you know what, I feel like I, I talked about a, a stuff and I think, you know, there's that, there's a verse and it talks about, you know, the 99 and the one and how we should always chase after the one. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like that's true. And I think that sometimes, you know, I can get really caught up in, in the big vision of things, but we have to remember like what's kind of right in front of our faith and like what we're able to do with the things that God's given us. And I think that we kind of need to remind ourselves because even though we feel like we're limited and we feel like, you know, we're really restricted within what we do in COVID and what we can do sometimes within the, the certain, you know, restrictions on our life. I really think that even regardless of that, like there's still something to be done. And so I just, I think that we need to remind ourselves of that, or rather I'm telling myself this and I need to remind myself that, you know, we're not, we're not bound by anything, but rather we just need to see where the opportunity is. I love that. Thank you so much, Suri, for telling your story today and making us laugh, but also inspiring us just with all of your experiences. And I can't wait to see, um, what else you're up to in the next few years. So thank you, Saray. No, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And I'm very, very grateful to have friends like you in my life to just cheer me on and honestly encourage me. You teach me so much. And I'm just so thankful that I've met you and that, you know, we get to, you know, go through this season of life together. It's been such a blessing. So thank you very much. Too. If you enjoyed today's episode and if you were encouraged by the message, I would love to hear from you. Please subscribe, leave a review on your favorite podcast platform, take a screenshot and post it to Instagram and tag me so that we can keep growing together. And until next time, with heart and humility, embrace la musica.